Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. We're in the highest point of Old Testament history, which is the Red Sea Party. And I want to unpack that. I don't want to skim over that like most people do, and they don't get the full nuance of what's happening. The Red Sea parting is what the Old Testament and New Testament always points back to in terms of understanding God's deliverance physically and spiritually. It points to salvation. It points to our deliverance as a church. It points to the Jewish deliverance at the second coming. So it points to all three facets. So it's imperative that you understand the Red Sea parting. Okay, what you're going to see today, it's like Moses comes out of time and speaks to you and I what we're going through. Because they are in a holy war. This is a holy war. We are in a holy war currently. And so Moses is going to instruct Israel on five things to do in a holy war. And it applies to us. You'll see how easy it applies to us. So that being the case, let's turn to Exodus chapter 14. We'll start in verse 13. And obviously the setting here is that Israel is trapped, okay? So the Lord's going to fight for them. He fights for us. But it starts off with Israel being trapped. Now, just to refresh our minds, they don't know the Red Sea's going to part. Okay, so they're stuck there on this beach called Nueva Beach. And I showed you this before. And so two million people have descended on that beach. You can see the trail coming out. That's where Pharaoh would be coming from that trail. South, north is blocked by the water and the mountains. And then obviously the Red Sea's part in the eastern way to get out of that. Okay, so here's what we have to understand. That's the setting. That's our setting. Israel is out of options. There's nothing they can do for themselves. This problem is bigger than them. And so now they've run out of options. They've started complaining already because of the lack of options, and they're mad at Moses for taking them out to the desert to kill them. That's what their mindset is. And I want you to put it in our today terms. You and I, and a lot of people have told me this, they feel trapped by what's happening in the world. I wish I was a pilgrim in the 1600s and fleeing England to come to the new America to settle the new frontier. At least that was a place where we could have uh, freedom. There's no other countries to run to. You're looking at a situation like Israel with us, there's like no way out of this. The destruction of America is happening and you and I can't reverse it. We can't. The world is heading in a direction and we can't reverse that. We have ran out of options, humanly speaking. And at that point, this is where people are kind of losing a grip on reality. I've talked to prophecy guys around the nation that are in our circles, and they're, they're experiencing the same thing with other Christians. Christians are starting to lose a grip on things. They're starting to get paranoid. They're starting to get fearful. They're starting to get very angry, uh, almost hostile towards what's happening. Um, they're, they're losing a thread. And I get it. I understand why, because they're watching things just be destroyed right in front of them. And and they realize that you're not going back to your old life. You're not going back to how it was. It's over. And so they're having a hard time accepting that reality because of the of no options. 
You only have one option. And God's going to show what that one option is to Israel and to us. So that's where we're at. And so it says in verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Now let me unpack this just a little bit. The idea that Moses said this, notice it doesn't come from Yahweh to Moses and then to the people. It comes directly from Moses. Now, what does Moses know? Well, this is his finest hour of leadership, one of his finest hours. Moses has been prepared for this moment in time to say these particular words that you're going to see because he paid the price to learn them for 40 years in the desert. Moses was prepared by the Lord for this, and the training took 40 years, okay? So what's coming out of Moses is his training and preparation and what he says. And that's a principle in Scripture that you'll always see. You cannot give out if you're not taking in. You cannot minister if you have not taken in ministry. So it works that way. It's kind of like the Sea of Galilee versus the, the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee gives life because it has an inlet and an outlet. The Dead Sea is dead because it only has an inlet, but no outlet. So you can see the spiritual, spiritual understanding of even the two seas in Israel. Well, Moses is going to give out. And man, these words are one of the finest leadership words you have ever seen. He's going to say five different things that Israel needs to do and five things that we, you and I can do. So the first thing on the text, as you can see, do not be afraid. Okay, so let me unpack that. And your English is it's not really bringing it out, that what he's really trying to say. In the Hebrew, it's a negative imperative. And it's stronger in Hebrew than you're seeing here in your English text. And what it means is this. He's actually rebuking them. Okay? He's rebuking them. And in this, the way he's saying it, it could be phrased like this. Israel, you do not have the right to be afraid. Notice what it, you don't have the right to even be afraid. That's interesting. It doesn't say do not fear. You don't have the right to be. Now, what does that imply? They don't have the right to be afraid because Yahweh is with them. And God has promised them to be taken to the promised land. They're going to leave Egypt. And the protection, the presence of God has been promised to them. Therefore, since God has revealed revelation to Israel about his protection and promises and, and provision, they can't be afraid because he's with them. You see how that works theologically? So the same is true with us. We have God's promises of protection and provision and his leading and, and everything that God's promised to Israel, he promised to us as individuals. The same is true with us. We do not have a right theologically to be afraid of what's going on in this world. You don't because God has made promises and we have the God of Israel, Yahweh, the one true God with us. And so he who is greater in you or he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world is kind of the mentality that we have to have. You should not be afraid. Now, fear comes in different ways to us. 
And you can only live with fear in two ways. There's good fear, and then there's bad fear. You're only going to live your life one of two ways. The good fear is fearing God. The bad fear is fearing man. So when Israel is afraid, I can tell you where their fear is. They're fearing Pharaoh and his armies. They're fearing man, not fearing God. But what about God's power and and the ten plagues? Didn't they see that? Fear makes you lose a grip on reality. Fear makes you forget history that quick. And so the fear of man is seen in all kinds of different things. Fear of losing man's approval. By the way, you're not going to have any of this culture's approval. You're going to be called a racist, nationalist, crazy Christian. Okay? So if you want approval from this world, I'm not giving it to you anymore. It's done. But fear of the abuse of man, the persecution, legally, soft, I don't know, it's coming. Are you okay with them calling you names? Are you, are you afraid of that? Are you afraid of losing your rights? I don't like them, but are you afraid of that and the implications of that? Are you afraid of losing your money? That's the fear of man. What do you mean? The fear of money, losing money is coming your way. Because what they're setting up is a digital currency. That's what they're going to. In order to get up into a digital currency, you have to kill the dollar. And the implication is the way they kill the dollar is real simple, and they're already doing it, is inject more money into the system and devalue the dollar to where it's not worth anything anymore, and we will be forced to go to a digital currency. We will beg for a digital currency. The world will. And the way they're doing that, they're already doing it now. Stimulus checks, all kinds of stuff going in is where are you getting the money? Well, they're just printing it off. There's no gold backing our money anymore. Forget about Fort Knox. They've been printing off money since 1973. And the way they know how to get to the digital currency is to keep printing more money. That's happening. So what, what, what's going to hit you? The value of your money in your bank account and in your, and in your retirement is going to decrease. It is said that if they go to a digital currency this year, your money is going to decrease by at least 30%. That means if you have a dollar, it's worth 70 cents if they do that. And it will continue on until they move to a digital currency. Are you afraid of that? Because what offsets the fear of losing money? You have to turn to the scriptures and understand what God promises. He promises, I will meet all your needs. So that's the fear of God versus the fear of man. I'm afraid to lose my money, afraid to lose my money. Versus, no, God will provide for me. Whatever I need, he will provide. You remember the Sea of Galilee scene when the Lord is calling the disciples to full-time vocational ministry. It's about year one. The disciples have actually been with him for a year, but they haven't surrendered to full-time ministry. It's part-time ministry with him. But the situation where they come in from the night, haven't caught anything, and then Jesus Jesus tells them to go back out and throw the net on the right side, and what do they do? They have the, mir- the miraculous draft of fish, and they pull that into the boat, and the nets break. Why did he do that? Because at that point, he says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. But they'd already been following him. Well, it's the idea of being called to vocational ministry. Because they're going to be called full-time to serve the Lord, God was telling them, 
I'm going to provide for you and your family. I already know, Peter, what you're thinking. If you can't work, how am I going to feed my family? And he's saying, Peter, the rest of the disciples, I'm going to be the provider. Remember when Peter couldn't pay his taxes? What happened? Jesus said, there's a fish right there. It's caught a coin from a long time ago. It's in his mouth. Uh, get that fish. Pay our taxes, Peter. Provision, right? That's how a Lord works. He can find a coin in someone's uh, a fish's mouth. And the idea behind that is, boys, he's talking to the, the disciples, trust me for your provision. Because a lot of people start freaking out. How am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to do this? What am I going to do? I don't know. But give it to God because he says, I can provide for you. That's how you overcome those fears with the truth. Now, the second thing Moses tells them, stand still. Now, he had to stand still for 40 years in the desert. No movement out of the desert. And this is what Moses learned. Now, what does this mean? What it means is that you need, as a believer, and Israel needs to, uh, as, as a nation, that don't run, don't go try to find a hiding spot, don't try to do anything, don't try to figure this out, don't try to manipulate the situation and fix things. You think we're going to fix the American economy? You think now we're going to fix the politics of America? Do you really think we're going to fix public school education? Gone. So God is saying, stand still. I don't need you to reform the country. I don't need you to reform public education. I don't need you to reform Hollywood. Just stand still. Now, this is a spiritual stance in a spiritual battle. So let me explain this, what it means. Paul picks up on this point in Ephesians 6. Paul had in mind when he's in prison, he saw Roman soldiers next to him that guarded him. And so he used passages from the Old Testament and connected them to the armor of a Roman soldier to give us a good idea of how to uh, think about spiritual warfare. If you read Ephesians 6, Paul will keep reiterating the point, stand still. And when you've done all you can, stand Stand, stand, stand. All he keeps saying. Well, the idea is, in a holy war, that's what God needs of you. As you can see, a Roman soldier just standing there, what he is doing, he is at his post. He's not moving. That's where he was ordered to be, and that's where he needs to be. Don't go moving. Stay where I told you to stay. See, our tendency is not to stand at our post. Our tendency is to give up our post and go look for safety. So all this stuff is firing all over us like in a battle. Arrows are going right past our heads. Everything's coming at us. And, and you're saying, can I leave my post because, man, the arrow just went right by my ear. I'm scared. I don't want... And God's saying, stay there. I'll protect you as long as you stand there. Why is it important in a spiritual battle to stand where you're at at your post? Because that's the ground you have conquered. That's the area that God does not want you giving up. It's the territory that belongs to you that you have taken over through your walk with the Lord and how God is ministering through you at that location. If you leave your post, the salt and light from that area moves, removes itself. That's how important it is to stay where you're at unless you are moved. And so Israel is just to stay put on the beach. Don't go running. Don't go swimming. Stay there. That's what we do in a, in a uh, 
a holy war. Now, the principle I'll give you about this is called patient inaction. Patient inaction. Well, what does that mean? Well, notice that he stands still, but he doesn't tell you how long. So you might be told, stand there, and, you, and you're going to say to the Lord, how long do you want me to stand here? And he's going to come back and say, that's none of your business. I'll tell you to move when I'm ready to move you. But what I need you to do is just stand there. And I've done that with the Lord. I've, I've, I've battled with him. Uh, when he's told me to stand at a certain location, you're like, how long? And it's almost like the Lord, you know, hey, if I want you to stand on your head and whistle Dixie, I, I just need you to do that. And I, I, think, I, I think as far as our church is concerned, you know, we've been standing for 10 years without a location of our own. And I kept saying to the Lord, when's this going to happen? When's it going to happen? It's just year after year, year after year, year after year. Nothing, 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 nothing. And he just kept impressing on me, stand, 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 stand. Just keep doing what you're doing. Stand, stand, stand. And then it wasn't until recently that he said, now move forward. He's going to do the same thing to Israel. He's going to tell them to stand. And then eventually, later on, later on, he's going to tell them, okay, now move forward. And then he splits the sea. So when God is ready... He determines the timing of things. And then he'll say, go. Now is the time to go. And we have. We went forward now. We're going to get our own building. But that's an example, even on a church level, that we just stood and stood and stood and 10 years went by. Now, you might be, you might be asked by the Lord to stand with another person as a witness to them. There's many people that God puts in our lives that, man, they are just stubborn, hard-hearted, belligerent, hate Christianity. And the Lord says, I want you to be in relationship with that person. And, and to make things worse a lot of times, it's not someone that you can just, like, get away from, like an acquaintance or a friend or anything. It's typically a family member. And you just can't get away from them because they're your family, Right? And so you have this stubborn person in your family, adult, child, grandparents, or it's you maybe, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> could be you that's a burden to everybody. But somebody, you're sitting there and thinking, I need to get away from this person. I can't stand this person. I'm <laughs> my mind is ready to blow. They're a thorn in my side. Lord, remove them from me. And you know what he comes back? Stand, 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 stand. Because you're witnessing to them. And I need you to keep witnessing until I tell you you're done. And that's a hard one, man. That's a hard pill to swallow because our instincts say, get away. Get away from me. But God's saying, no. Stay there. I need you there. Okay, so that's the, the, the imperative Moses is saying. Let's go to the next one, three. In this one, he says... And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Notice the admonition, see. It's the idea of being a spectator in the holy war. Now, you and I can't usually fight in a holy war because God needs to do the fighting. It's bigger than us. We got to put on our armament. But he's saying, see, watch. And watch what? Watch God do the impossible. Watch something happen that neither Israel or Egypt could conceive of in their own thinking. So it's a spectator. 
situation. So what God's going to tell you and I in this holy war that we're in, and it's ramping up, he sometimes is going to tell you, watch me. Watch me in this. Now, with all the evil going on, you think, wow, man, I don't see anything godly happening. Ah, you got to go one step further. You got to take one more step back and see the bigger picture. What is the bigger picture? Prophetically, it's happening. Everything God said is happening. Would they build a one-world government? Yes. Would they build a one-world religion? Yes. The horde's already here. Uh, would they build a one-world currency? Yes. It's all happening. So when you look at the world, you've got to go past what the evil is doing, go past Pharaoh and, and the chariots, and see the bigger picture. God's plan is happening, and that's where you spectate. That's where you say, oh, okay, I see what he's doing. And then the Lord fights from there. We watch him fight. And he says, which we, we, he will accomplish for you today. Now, in, in, interesting thing about this whole spectating and standing, there's the timing element in all of this. And you're thinking to yourself, I know right now, because I say this, how much do I got to see? How much, how evil do I need to see? I mean, I'm ready to be raptured right now and get out of here. But, you know, God's saying, no, I need you to see a little bit more. Why? I don't want to see any more. It's making me sick. I'm, I vomited twice in my mouth this week watching what's going on. And you're like, no, no. He's saying, I need you to see something that I'm going to reveal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you see this and how I'm working. Right now, what you know what, what, what Christians are starting to see right now? This is a biggie. They're seeing who's legit and who isn't in Christianity. They really do. You see what people are made out of in this whole year, and it's shocking. And that's what God's doing. He's revealing the wheat from the chaff, the Laodicean element of the church with the Philadelphia church. You're seeing it, and that is why you're still around. He wants to expose the evil, not only in this culture, but that has crept into the church. These pastors that you're seeing, some of them are hirelings. They're in the business for something other than serving Christ. They're hirelings. And when a hireling is pushed by persecution, the hireling goes running and abandons the flock. I, I, I was listening to Billy Crone. He mentioned this on an interview I was with him. And he said uh, he had a gal come to his church who was upset with her pastor because their church had set, shut down. Uh, and uh, obviously, Billy's church was going. And she said, she came up to Billy and she says, I was so upset. She goes, you're open, but my pastor shut his church down. And then I saw him on Sunday morning lounging around at his pool on Sunday morning. And she said to him, to Billy, our pastors are not fighting for us. And you're right, because they're hirelings. Hirelings don't fight for sheep. They're, they're on pay. So that's being evidenced, and we're seeing it. So God is going to keep us here for as much as he needs to show us. So you're going to see some things if the rapture doesn't happen anytime soon. But it's important to see this. Number four, 
He says this, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. I'm going to destroy your enemies. You're never going to see your enemies again. And the same is true with us. I want you to take a good look at our enemies right now. Get them in your head right now. You got them. You can start naming them off, right? You can see your enemies. Okay. Once we're raptured, you're not going to see them anymore. They're going to go through the tribulation. Unless they come to faith in Messiah, the next time you will see them will be at the great white throne judgment as they're being ready to be thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? So get a good look at your enemies because you'll only see them one more time. Now, I hope and pray that these enemies of ours turn to Christ. I hope so. If the tribulation doesn't wake them up, nothing's going to wake them up. But at the end of the day, the same thing is being said to us. One day for you and I, we will see no more enemies. Now, here's my point on this one. But And the English doesn't bring this out. you got to see this in the Hebrew, the force of it. This may sound bizarre, but the way Moses is saying this It's this. Israel, you should be happy that you're seeing Pharaoh and his armies come after you. What? That didn't even make sense. Again, take one step beyond the enemies and understand what Moses is trying to say. You're never going to see these enemies again. It's actually good that you're seeing them now because theologically, God has promised to destroy the Egyptian army, and protect you. So the fact that you're seeing them will be for the last time because God is about to destroy them. That's what Moses is trying to get them to see. Not the enemy, but what God's going to do to them. Now, the same principle can be applied today with you and I. I know this is going to sound bizarre, but let me make the same statement. It is a good thing that you see the formation of the one world government. What? It is a good thing that you are possibly going to see a digital currency come up. What? It's a good thing that you're seeing the whore of Babylon right now gather all people under her banner, except for Christians and Jews. I'm not following you, Brandon. Again, Go past the enemy and see the deeper theological meaning behind it all. Jesus said it this way. I don't have to go any further than what Jesus said. When you see all these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draws near. So, you're not supposed to take a negative from it. You're supposed to see the theological positive out of it. It's like, oh my goodness, that means if these things are forming, that means I'm closer to seeing Jesus and being raptured out of here. That's how you're supposed to view what's going on right now. Not to be down in the depths, oh, our country's lost and my whole life is over. I'll never return back to my old life. No, no, no. The next life is ready for you. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. That place is already made for you. It's ready. It's ready for your your waiting. And there's loved ones that have went on before you that are believers that are waiting to greet you at the gates. Last point, we'll wrap things up. Verse 14 says, The Lord will fight for you, because it's too too big for us, and you shall hold your peace. 
<laughs> Let me bring that out in the modern-day colloquial. Hold your peace. You need to shut up, Israel. Now, why did he tell them to hold their peace or shut up? Because they have been complaining. You brought us in the desert to die. And so it's, it, their complaining is a lack of faith. Why didn't my life go this way? It's a lack of faith. Why are these bad things happening to me at work? Why, why is our, our country going down the tubes? You're whining. And God will serve you some cheese with that wine if you keep whining. But at the end of the day, you're complaining just like Israel complained. When did they say, I wish I could go back to Egypt and be enslaved? What? I, I sometimes feel that way. You know what I say to myself? I, how bad it's getting? Uh, this week I even thought, boy, it'd be nice to go back to my childhood in the 80s and where I didn't have to worry about this. And I think, that's like going wanting to go back to Egypt. Why would I want to go back to my childhood where I was a kid and because I didn't have any of this thought in my head, right? But it, it's a tendency for us. So he tells Israel, I need you to quit complaining. You need to shut your mouth about the complaining. You've complained, and I'm done with it, okay? And they're going to continue this, this, this problem, okay? But anyway, but the Lord will fight for you. See, in the Scripture, God is portrayed, unfortunately, uh, as a warrior king, this is not how the community, or sorry, the community of Christians in America portrays Jesus as. They portray Jesus as this weak, timid, Scandinavian dude. And he is not. Jesus is the God-man, warrior king. He's Jewish, and he fights, man. And when he comes back, he will throttle them. Throttle them. Literally, man. So our warrior king is fighting for us, and he comes back actually to fight and destroy all evil. So th the whole point is, how is this all going to stop? The world is getting so evil. What's going to happen? You know, what, what can we do? It's not your job. It's too big for you and I. You have to let the warrior king, God-man, deal with it, and he will. He will expunge evil and send out of this planet and, and then create the messianic kingdom. So in a spiritual war that we're in, understand, what are your responsibilities? Don't fear, stand, watch. All these things that Moses enumerated, that's your responsibility. This other thing of trying to expunge evil out of this world, no, no, that's God. God has to do that. So you have to understand the division of labor in a holy war. Now let me end on this. What's really going to really make you upset in the days ahead is you trying to get in God's territory and start enforcing in unenforceable rules on our culture, on people, or whoever. Now, let me explain that, because this is where all the angst and frustration. If you're saying, I just want our country to go back to 1950, that's an unenforceable rule. You, how are you going to do that? I want my life to be better. I want my life to be free of persecution. And I just want to have a nice time here. That's an unenforceable rule. You don't not have, number one, the authority nor the power to make that happen. So that's where a lot of our frustrations center in on is we got these rules in our head that we have to have, and then we can't enforce them. And that leaves us depressed, frustrated, and helpless. 
So here's the deal. Don't enforce what you can't enforce. Be responsible for what you're responsible and give the rest to God. It's his battle. Amen. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.